0: the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire Welcome to a milestone edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Yeah, it's only our fourth episode, but it's already a milestone edition. It's already a special episode because we've got some firsts on this episode. Today, we've got our first active political candidate as a guest. I will also debut a new segment a little later on in the show. For the very first time, I may be getting a little ranty. Let's just leave it at that for now. And not only that, but if you didn't notice... Yeah, that's right. I don't have to introduce myself anymore. I don't have to tell you that I'm your host, your guy, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. I've got voiceover guy to do that. Everything's easier with a voiceover guy. I don't have to do a whole cheesy intro. I can just start off, be myself and get us into the show. And that's what we're going to do right now. My guest today is one of 35 candidates for the mayor of Minneapolis. He is running as a libertarian. Please welcome in Christopher Robin Zimmerman, better known to me as CRZ. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast, CRZ. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. And thanks for being had. <laughs> <I was laughs> to say, I'm new to this whole broadcasting thing. I'm still getting the whole etiquette down. What are you supposed to? How are you supposed to introduce a guest? How are you supposed to, you know, get through the the little BS intro? But I, I think we're doing all right so far. Good patter, baby. Good patter. <laughs> now, most people, you know, might not realize most of my audience, my little libertarian niche audience, listening right now uh, or later. This is pre-recorded. Yep, the secret's out. They may not be familiar with you, at least in the way I am. So I just want to give a recap. You know, about 10, 15-ish years ago when um, I was in college, there was, you know, this whole internet wrestling community started. I mean, and by that, I mean, you know, pro wrestling fans. And yes, I come out right now for the first time on this podcast. I am a pro wrestling fan, have been since I was a kid. Uh, I don't think it really ever goes away. It's kind of like a little little virus, like the chicken pox virus. It just stays in you. It might go dormant for a while. But it always pops back up, and you know, back when I was in college, you, you know, you go to college, you don't always have time to watch all your wrestling shows, and uh, so you read the recaps. You read recaps online. And this guy, CRZ, he was one of, like, it was you and Scott Keith, I'd say, were probably, like, the two most popular <laughs> wrestling recappers in the world, I would say. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, most people listening might not even realize that is a thing anyone can be, is, like, a most popular wrestling recapper. But
1: The, you know. the internet was much smaller back then, and, and thankfully mostly text. I, I wouldn't survive in 2013. And by the way, it's interesting you use the chickenpox analogy, because it... When it you least expect it, you find you have a full-blown case of shingles. So
0: right, and it's too late, and all you can do is just you know go to uh, go to Grand Union or the pharmacy and get get your meds and just, just
1: so sit painful. back down and it's, bask in it's it's it. It's just like watching watch? wrestling in 2013. It's so painful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I could do a two, whole, whole two hours with you about wrestling, but you know I don't know maybe and we might lose some of my audience real quick if we go too far into <laughs> that. But I do recommend highly an interview that um, CRZ gave with. Some friends of mine, Justin Rosero, Scott Criscolo over at the Place to Be Nation, placetobenation.com. I'm also a contributor over there. So please, if you're into wrestling, please go find that interview. It's, it's almost two hours. They almost destroyed this poor man's voice. We're going to try not to do that today because, you know, you got all this stumping to do, all this campaigning to do. Um,
1: Thankfully, most of my stumping has been virtual and involving a keyboard rather than me trying to speak off the cuff. But we'll see how well I do tonight. Well,
0: that's what I find. Um, not the only thing I find interesting, but one of the things I find interesting about your campaign is that you are you're doing essentially nothing. (laughs) I wouldn't say nothing. You're doing a lot of work on your Facebook page and you're you're doing a series, you know, talking about every other candidate for mayor. Again, there's 35 of them. You're kind of doing this in just a purely viral, I'm posting stuff on my Facebook. If you find me, you can check me out. And that's it. You're not going to fundraise. You're not even attempting to get money because I think, I heard you say once, if you go over it, what is it, like $100, then the rules change, something like that.
1: The way it's set up in Minneapolis, and maybe to go back even further, Almost anyone is qualified to be mayor. So, someone starts talking about, "Oh, he's not qualified, or he's not serious." All you need is twenty bucks and to not be a felon. If you're registered to vote, if you live in Minneapolis, and if you pay that twenty dollars filing fee, you get on the ballot. It's one of the easiest ballot access situations in the country, and I think it's a great one. And that's kind of how we end up with thirty-five. It's because it's so easy. Anybody who has their own pet issue, the other thing you do to get on the ballot, you identify a party or principle, and that can be up to three words, because our most popular party, in fact, the only party we have around here, really, is what we uh, call the Democratic Party. It's Democrat, farmer, labor. So that's the three words. But anybody can put, you know, need better transportation or something about police or something, three words like that. So the folks who are actually registering as members of a party are actually very few and far between out of the 35 folks we have here. But I I have been a Libertarian. I registered Libertarian the first chance I got, which was 89 when I became of voting age. So I just missed out on Ron Paul, unfortunately, in 88. But Libertarian is what I put on the ballot. And now I've gone two or three tangents away from your original question, which was,
0: Oh, that's perfect because you know this is all about just going on little tangents, little rants that's what we do at our website that's what I do, so please we can take it wherever it goes <laughs> actually
1: no, I remember now the what the rule is if you if you go over a hundred bucks, you have to have a campaign committee registered to give the, the finance reports every quarter. And you and need
0: to, what, show every dime you're like spending that. after that and uh, right. fill out all this paperwork that, you know, why, why the heck do you want to do that?
1: <laughs> I'm a, yeah, I'm at about 30 bucks, and I, I actually, if I can get away with not spending another cent for the rest of the campaign, and at the time we're doing this, there's only five weeks to the election. I have a feeling uh, I'll be able to get away with that. The only thing I'm really investing in is if I have to go downtown for something and park because you can't park for free downtown. But even that, that's a buck at a time. So there's no way I'm gonna hit a hundred bucks before uh, before November fifth.
0: Now, you know, you mentioned you first registered as a libertarian in nineteen eighty nine. So obviously this has been something that's at least been on your mind, something you've thought about for a while, but take us a little bit more on the journey. What what was the first thing, you know, was there a moment in your childhood or a movie or a book or some kind of moment or person you can peg as like the the day or what kind of led you down that path towards, you know, looking into libertarian ideas or, or seeing things a different way, anything like that? The first
1: time that I heard the Libertarians existed, I think it was my dad saying a joke when he was uh, talking about how he had voted in, a, in an election. I don't know how old I was or which election it was, but he said, yeah, I thought about throwing my vote to the Libertarians. And that kind of, well, what is that? I don't know what that is. And so I got interested in that, and it was interesting. I, I think I really, you know, senior year of high school, it was all about uh, Bush versus Dukakis, and so everybody in the class, we didn't know left and right in that time or conservative or liberal, but there were there were Bush people, and there were Dukakis people, and we could look back now and say, oh, obviously those were the conservatives, those were the liberals, but I wasn't particularly interested in either guy, and so I, I kind of revisited this concept that I had heard about, the libertarians, and there were some books in the library I'd read, and I decided, well, that was going to be my thing, partially as a, as a form of protest, and partially to be, you know, different from everyone else in the classroom, of course I had to be, uh, but it just kind of was something that I stuck with and something that as time went on, and I got more and more into learning what the, the, the two big parties were about. It just seemed uh, like the way to go. And I wasn't into Ross Perot either. I thought he was a kook. I think a lot of people think libertarians are kooks, of course, but they're my <laughs> kind of kooks, I guess.
0: That's funny. So I was actually just, just going to ask you, you know, what what did you think about Ross Perot? Because that was right about the time you were, you were kind of coming into, you know, right after you registered libertarian. So why, why do you think he's a kook?
1: Well, he's he he got rich, and when you when you get that rich, you can be crazy because you can afford to be that
0: crazy. So it's just kind of uh... you got to be that rich to run for president uh, (laughs) independently of the major parties, really. These days,
1: unfortunately, that appears to be the case, and that's kind of the deal here in Minneapolis. There are about seven or eight candidates that are being taken seriously because they have raised X amount of money or thousands of dollars. It's coming up on a million, I think. And just for a, a race in which the mayor really has no power, we have a weak mayor system. The city council kind of holds all the power. The mayor is just kind of the guy on the bully pulpit, and he can appoint the chief of police, and that's really about
0: it. But He kisses puppies mayor, and uh, you know, feeds babies or, or whatever it is that politicians do.
1: Yes, yeah, so our current mayor for for the past 12 years has been really great about, you know, writing tweets that rhyme and everybody gets really <laughs> excited about that. Oh, he, he tweeted about Minneapolis again. That's great. I'm going to retweet him. The
0: cheap he gets the Mick Foley hometown cheap pop every day, Exactly. Right?
1: <laughs> every every
0: tweet is a cheap Sorry, pop. gang, that was not a wrestling reference. We'll try to we'll try to keep him to a minimum. <laughs>
1: Actually, you can kind of tell that he's kind of a lame duck at this point because he's getting more and more democratic as the as the weeks go on.
0: Right. That's an interesting thing about politics. They can kind of show more of their, I mean, I don't know if they're true colors, but they kind of, uh, they, they can be one way towards the beginning, you know, one way when they're trying to get elected, and another way maybe in office, and then towards the end, they can kind of just <laughs> kick back, let loose, and let it all out, huh? Absolutely.
1: As much as I would like to say, I've just tried to be myself the whole time, and, you know, God forbid, somehow I, I won this election, I would be exactly the same as I was before. I will say that I've kind of hidden the fact that I'm a Green Bay Packers fan and will probably do that for the next five weeks. And People don't—people in Minneapolis don't really need to know how much I hate the Vikings uh, until later.
0: <laughs> Unless they listen to this podcast, then, then you're in trouble.
1: And when, and when all 300,000 folks listen, I know I'm in big trouble.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, you know, there's a lot of people new to, I guess, libertarianism. Um, it, it's kind of said, as you mentioned, Ron Paul before, I mean, I think his dual campaigns, if nothing else, brought out this, these, a lot of these ideas into the public, into the open. And, you know, there's a lot of different terms tossed out that people have. I think you actually described yourself to me as a a, quote unquote lazy libertarian at one point. Uh, Your words, not mine. And, um, you know, but you hear a lot of, a lot of different words like anarcho capitalism, left libertarian, you know, um, all this stuff. Like what, I don't know if you define yourself in any specific way within that framework, but you know, what does, I guess, what does libertarianism mean to you? I mean, you obviously initially became attracted to that label because it was just different, but if you're still sticking to it, you know, 30-some-odd years later, obviously there are some things about it that um, that make some sense to you. So you care yeah. going to go into that a bit? Not 30-something. Geez, I'm, I'm I'm trying to increase both of our ages rapidly. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> quarter century, hundreds. and that's enough. <laughs> what I'll say is, uh, I, first of all, I consider it a very pure form of libertarianism in that I don't even want the Libertarian Party to help me, which unfortunately made the Libertarian Party very angry at me, and they went ahead and, gave their precious endorsement to uh, the Pirate Party candidate.
0: I I saw that. Of all people to lose out to, it's the pirate guy.
1: (laughs) Well, the thing is, I was considering going to the Pirate Party convention, and then I realized that they had a ringer, and he was going to get it no matter what, so I stayed home. But he's a good guy. Curtis Hanna, uh, if you need to vote for somebody else or you need a number two or number three, I would strongly encourage you to look him up. Uh, He's on Facebook as well. You're
0: already so not a typical politician telling people to go (laughs) check out your opponent. He's a great guy. All these things that are so so opposite of what we normally see from politics.
1: Mark, it's another exciting thing about the Minneapolis race. We have ranked choice voting. So you're not only voting for your guy. You have to, well, you don't have to, but you can designate a number two and a number three. So if your number one guy ends up being like a last place guy, then that vote gets discounted. And we add your second place vote to the other people until we have someone who either gets to 50% or ends up being uh, with the most votes when everybody's votes are exhausted. So what it's supposed to do, and one of the side effects is, for a while at least, everybody had to be a whole lot nicer because you didn't want to make anybody too mad because you might want to be the person to to get that second-place or third-place vote. It's kind of uh, falling by the wayside. The closer we get to Election Day, people get a little more desperate and they get a little more mean. They slip into those old habits. But it's uh, just another interesting thing. And one of the reasons I think we have 35 candidates, I think a lot of people think with this ranked choice voting, that they really have a shot at it, even if they're not going to be the, the, maybe the first choice, maybe there'll be enough people's second choice that it will help push them over the top.
0: That's a really uh, interesting, uh, interesting system. It sounds almost like a little mini Olympics or something, like everybody's just trying to rack up enough points and hope it still works out, you know, all works out in the end.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, with so many people, you kind of wish that you could rank, have some more rankings or some talk about that. Right, why course, not a top 100? Or a <laughs> Right. I would love to see us rank all 35, but, of course, we, we only have a finite amount of time in that voting booth. But the other thing people want to do is kind of restrict the access. They'd like it to be maybe a $500 filing fee instead of $20, or maybe $20, but you also have to get a couple hundred signatures to go with it. And so this may be the last chance that a lot of us get to do this. You know, I only have to work for a living, as much as I'd love to go out and gather signatures. The appeal of being one of nine or ten, it's possible, but, I, you know, I don't want to be one of those serial candidates that we've got around here either.
0: Right, the people who, they just keep kind of coming back every year and rearing their head, and like, oh, this guy, he's running again, and they maybe don't even... We're not even sure if they have actual jobs, or I know that probably describes a couple of the guys that are running against you. They just seem to be candidates, like that—that's their career. I think,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you'll find a lot of them are advanced age and have retired. But there are a couple people who were actually, you know, joked about on Twitter is like, oh well, it's not a race until Oli Saviour is running, and then oh, sure enough, there's Oli, so we shouldn't have said anything.
0: So, do you come at libertarianism? I mean, you—you you were talking about how you're a, a pure libertarian. So let's get back to what what that means. I mean, a lot, some people come at it from just the. Um, the economic side, like it just it just makes economic sense. Like a government and central planners can't just decide what's best for people. Uh, you know, free markets do that, and pleasing customers do that. Um, right. And some people come at it more from just the moral point of view, like you leave me alone, I leave you alone, in the non-aggression principle. You know, so where do you come from with it? That's
1: totally it. I think it's it's more you know the small l as opposed to the big L. Although right. I try to be both, but it is the deal of I, I don't want to bother you, and I would really prefer you don't bother me and let's just, take, you know, let's just try to live our own lives without anybody trying to in, inter, interfere or involve themselves in it, especially the government. I, there are precious few decisions the government can make about me better than I can make for myself, and the less we can get the government involved, and, you know, that means taking a lot of what we've got now and repealing it or scaling it back or trying to get back to how the country was when it first started, there's so many rules and regulations now that are totally unnecessary or actually harmful. And it's, it's tough. It's not something we can dismantle overnight. But with enough people and enough people getting fed up enough, over time I think we're moving in the right direction, and I think we'll see that uh, as time goes on there's going to be more and more of a move towards libertarianism. Even if people don't realize that that's what they're calling it, and that that's where the, the camp they're falling in, Uh, those kind of attitudes are i think prevailing
0: i think that's an interesting point you make you know even even if they don't realize it which is i i see that in people you know there's certain people in my lives that we have all these conversations with a lot of the same people that will laugh at libertarianism or laugh at certain ideas i see them slowly taking these positions that just line right up because that's just you know the, the the way that the trends are going you know that's the the conversations that are that are happening right now people are just gradually moving to these positions because a lot of them besides the fact that you know we may come from things from a certain moral standpoint you know These things do make sense. So you know when they actually get to hear the ideas, which they're able to nowadays much more easily through the internet. You know, like some jackass like me can just put up a website and (laughs) make a podcast, and now you know maybe some people hear it. I mean, so it's definitely changing. Um, I I think the the way we communicate is definitely changing the way ideas are spreading. Wouldn't you say? Well,
1: we had. I think we had the right messenger at the right time. Ron Paul was so great, even though he was doing it from within the Republican Party you know, in my state, Minnesota, we, we have a Libertarian Party, but they're they're barely existent. They they barely, you know, that's why I can talk to the guys who run the state party at the State Fair, because they're the only guys who would run the booth, so they're going to be there every day. But when the O eight elections came around, I was able to caucus because the Libertarian is no caucus. I caucused with the GOP, and I was, basically, I was a precinct captain for Ron Paul. And because, again, it's a Democratic city, there may be 10th of the folks that show up for the GOP caucuses would for a Democrat caucus. So it was pretty easy to start from the grassroots and as precinct captain bring up enough people to be delegates for Ron Paul and to go into the next uh, step, which is for the congressional district, for the next step for the state. And that's how Minnesota ends up casting votes for Ron Paul at the National Convention. They did it in both uh, 08 and even uh, more successfully in 2012 where they had a majority of the delegates uh, for the state to the embarrassment of a whole bunch of people and really exposing the national folks as some really petty people where the Romney folks passed rules to not let the Paul people have basically any say or to give Ron time at the convention. So that's a long-winded way of saying that I caucused for the GOP, but I I could never bring myself to calling myself a Ron Paul Republican. I was still a libertarian. But Ron Paul did such a great job espousing libertarian values, even while staying in his party. he could have left the party and run as a libertarian candidate, but he, that wasn't what he was going to do. And I think it gave Gary Johnson a great chance to get himself known. And again, through Twitter, through Facebook, people that you just probably wouldn't hear about otherwise, you now have the opportunity to, to meet like-minded folks and to feel, hey, I'm not alone out here and thinking that these two options are awful and looking for a better way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think all of us libertarians, or most of us, probably went through a phase in our lives where we thought we were the only libertarian in the world. Like, you literally think, well, it's me that thinks this, so uh, I'm just going to think this to myself, I guess. And, uh, you know, everyone else is going to keep just being in this weird Democrat-Republican thing that I just think is stupid and don't get.
1: And you know what Also, does, Mark? It's that the people, they, they kind of gang up on you, otherwise it's like, oh, so you're racist, so you think people have the right to to not let black folks into their business. All right, all the the straw men immediately emerge. Really, really, yeah, exactly. But when there are 12 people saying it to you, it gets very tough, very tiresome to speak out and to continue to fight the good fight. But when you have that kind of backup on the Internet, it's like, you know, that's not what I'm about. Here's what I'm about. And if, if you would just pay attention, I think you would see that it would be so much better for you to have more money in your own pocket and to trust the government to spend your money on bridges to nowhere, etc.
0: And I think that's one of the big things that um, came from the Ron Paul campaigns, besides the actual ideas. In a way, he, he gave people the courage, the courage to just say, yeah, I agree with this guy. I mean, he here he is on stage, especially in 2008 with you know, eight or nine just total fascists. Like, I mean, the worst of the worst. I mean, we got Rudy Giuliani up there. I mean, uh, Romney, John McCain, these just like terrible warmongering, police state loving guys. And he's just the only one up there saying, yeah, if we bomb other countries that they're going to get mad at us. And sometimes they're going to, that's going to cause terrorism. And that was just the craziest thing you could even hear on TV back then. You know, I. I I always thought that way in my head, and it made sense when he said it, but I was still shocked. As someone who agreed with him, I was shocked because you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> you cannot have those views in mainstream discussion. Or I should say you couldn't because now it's, you know, a, even when it's not principled, there's a lot more politicians that are, I mean, we just stopped the war on Syria, or maybe it will still happen. But, I mean, 10 years ago with Iraq, it was pretty much science sealed, deliberate, not that much public opposition. And a decade later, there's enough anti-war sentiment that basically they had to pull back and not bomb Syria. And I, I think in a lot of ways that has to be directly attributed to Ron Paul and the kind of the movement that sprang from him. Not
1: only Ron Paul, but I think the Internet over the past 10 years, I think the media who were totally in the tank to take out Iraq, they, could, they tried for Syria. I just don't think they carry the weight that they used to. And there's just that splintering, the fracturing of the audience and more people on the Internet. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't. Had the effect on my campaign as I'd hoped. You say I want to go viral. I am far from going viral, and unfortunately, I haven't had that that moment of resonance that the you know the half naked guy had with his YouTube commercial, for instance. <laughs>
0: Well, but, we're going to hope to give you the, the Lions of Liberty <laughs> bump. We're going to – we're everybody listening to this podcast right now, please go to Facebook, find CRZ for Mayor, like his page, share it with your friends, help him go viral. We're going to see how popular my – how much influence I have from this little experiment.
1: And if it turns out that this isn't the time, it's possible that in four years it may be the time then. I think Uh-oh, we're going to already talking about running again.
0: again. Watch out. <laughs> well,
1: maybe n- not that, but I think, uh, you know, knowing what I know – Now, I may be able to find someone else to get behind without me
0: having to actually run. Understood, right. Because you're you're kind of learning at least what goes on behind the scenes of a, um, you know, real, I guess, quote-unquote real mayoral campaign. Right. Right. Now, so, you know, obviously, you share a lot of the views that we do, I I mean, without going crazy in depth into the little idiosyncrasies of, you know, libertarian, you know, infighting, but um, but what made you run for mayor? Like, what do you hope to accomplish by that? You know, there's a lot of libertarians that are really deeply involved in politics, active in the libertarian party, active for Ron Paul, as you were, and, and I was as well. And I hate politics, but, you know, something about Ron Paul just inspired me to get off my ass. You know, what do you specifically intend to accomplish through running for mayor? Do you do you think you can win? I mean, do do you think you can win and turn Minneapolis into a libertarian paradise, or you know, what's your goal?
1: Uh, If I were to win, and I will say that I have a very low chance of winning, I'm free to admit that. Uh, What I would like to do is just to use that bully pulpit to say, "Hey, is this really necessary? Is this really necessary? Is this a good use of money?" And to kind of put pressure on people to, in turn, demand some accountability out of their councilmen and say, "Hey." yeah do we need to spend this money, or can we maybe lower the property taxes next year? There's so much stuff in the budget that shouldn't be in there. There's so much stuff that isn't basic city essential needs there above and beyond the police, the fire and filling up the potholes. there's not a lot that we actually need the city government for, and yet there are so many regulations and so many fees and so many problems trying to make the budget meet. Minneapolis gives up money to the state, and then if we're lucky, the state will give some money back to Minneapolis. Why does that happen? It's just one of those things where you have to ask the questions and then hope that enough people will be interested enough to seek out the answer, demand some accountability, some transparency, some sunshine. That's really what I'd like to see is open data everywhere.
0: And I think that's the best what your kind of perspective is the way libertarians that truly hope to change you know the way people think about things because that's what this comes down to. We have to change you know we're not just going to yell at everyone until they say you're right libertarians you you're you're the ones like you know we it is about ideas, and we need to convince people through logic and through our passion, that these, you know, are the right ideas, that it, maybe it's not so right to steal money from people and give it, give it to other people. You know, maybe there are better ways to do things, you know, ways we can do things in a more peaceful way, you know, a less harmful way.
1: Exactly. And always, Mark, always being esoteric.
0: Esoteric always. Of course, yes. That's the most important thing. And also posting um, internet memes is very important <laughs> to, to uh, libertarians. Those are the three pillars, I think. So, what are your thoughts on kind of this new wave of in national politics where you see some quote-unquote libertarian republicans you have rand paul out there who's kind of says he's not a libertarian sometimes says he is we're not really sure do you think that there's hope that you know we're going to see you know national politics change or do you think that you know is there a danger that they just kind of as like maybe republicans and tea parties even did they they claim to be for smaller government because they knew that this is the popular thing It's becoming you know it helps them get votes but it's not necessarily what they really believe do you think that's a danger what's your kind of thought about that
1: yeah, putting on my hat like I know something when I don't. Uh I think it's really gonna have to come down to what happens November fourteenth in those midterm elections. That's really gonna determine whether we're going to see a change or whether it's just gonna be the same old, same old. I wish I like Rand Paul as much as I like Ron Paul. I still don't. He's trying awfully hard to win me over, I can tell, but I, I don't think I'm in a caucus for him. But again, it's it's so far away, it's hard to say anything right now. But Unfortunately, you know, between Rand Paul and, uh, who's the other guy, Ted Cruz. By the way, it's so hard to believe Ron Paul and Rick Perry are from the same state, weren't they?
0: (laughs) It's it's kind of amazing, huh? I
1: meant to say that earlier, but yeah. Right now, they do stuff which makes them look like lunatics and allows people to call them lunatics and for other people to believe that they're lunatics. I don't know how they're going to get past that. I'm happy that they are fighting their fight and that they continue to make their points. They are firm in their resolve. God bless them. If I were in that position, I'm sure I would do the same thing, but it's going to be tough. I don't know. I think we're going to have to see if the Republicans take a bath in 14, maybe they can finally open their eyes and say, maybe we should have taken advantage of some of these grassroots that sprung up from Ron Paul. But right now, they are not very inclusive, and you can just tell from the infighting, unfortunately, they still have the numbers, or they think they do. So I don't know what's going to happen. I would love for everyone to just open their eyes and go third party and maybe go back and look at Gary Johnson with four years under his belt, and maybe they can get a a quicker start on trying to get involved in the debates. Uh, The lawsuits came a little late last time, and I, I still don't know if they're still working on those fronts or not to try to get included. I think that's really the way to go. If they could get included and if people could hear them, again, it would just everything snowballing until we had an avalanche.
0: Now, getting back to that caucus, I actually meant to ask you this earlier um, when you first mentioned your caucusing for Ron Paul. I'm just curious, you know, there were a lot of reports in many different states of shenanigans, chicanery, you know, the, uh, times when it was clear there was like 100 Ron Paul supporters and then the votes come out and he has seven and, you know, stuff like that. Did you see or hear either see yourself or did you hear anything from maybe other people in other caucuses that seemed odd about any of the activity there?
1: No, I think we were the one state where we didn't have that problem. First of all, Minnesotans are very nice. We got—we can't forget that. But we really locked it down, and we had, almost all the time, we had more than half of the people in the room. So it, was, it would really have been tough for them to try to pull anything on us. And that's how we ended up casting, I think, two-thirds of our votes for Ron Paul. We had one guy for Santorum, and I think we had six for Romney when it was all said and done. So if you ever get a chance, and I'm sure it's out there on YouTube somewhere, you could see that our little speech and our chairperson Marianne Stevens. You're supposed to talk about you know the state where this, the state where that. You talk to, for a minute about how great you are. And ours was Minnesota, the state where we run an honest convention.
0: Oh, that was you're talking about the uh, GOP convention, right? That yeah, yeah. Well, there there's that. I, I saw that, and there's a whole video on YouTube. I forget what it's called, but um, it's it shows the entire. I'm sure if you just YouTube GOP convention Ron Paul, you'll find it. And it's kind of a compilation of all the states that um, voted for Ron Paul. There, People don't realize there was like six or seven that were going to vote for Ron Paul. And then they changed some rules at the last minute. There was a whole thing. But um, there's yeah. one point where they do show the, the Minnesota convention. And they're just smiling and proud as can be to be there saying, yeah, we have an honest convention and we vote for Ron Paul. And it was just – it was really – of course, they, they blocked that out from the podium. They wouldn't ever repeat you know, they would just say, um, right. six
1: votes for Romney is all I said. For right. Time. Six
0: votes for Romney. That was just the slap in the face. They can't even say, you know, 20 Ron Paul or whatever it was, six Romney. They, they just, they, I mean, when, when, what other contest do you only announce the second place? That would be like the world series is over and you know, the giant, let's say the giants beat the Rangers and Hey everybody. All right. You're uh, your you world series runner ups. The, uh, the Rangers, <laughs> yeah, and then really we go home. Sad. Like what? Well,
1: so who won? Such a sad story. The Romney people really pissed off all the grassroots, and what happens is that those guys aren't going to come back, and they're not going to help them out later for for anybody else. They're still trying uh, the the Ron Paul folks. There's still enough of them around, and they're still you know installed in the state party apparatus that they're trying to undo a lot of the rules changes that kind of went through against the vote uh, against. You know, Robert's Rules of Order and Calls for Division, its you can really get into the weeds learning about stu- that stuff. But really what it comes down to is probably not a surprise to anyone. It's just how slimy these Romney guys were and, by extension, how the Republican higher-ups in general are. I mean, it really so, seemed like it, they
0: were shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, you think, like, why piss these people off? They're enthusiastic, I mean, maybe they'll even work for your party if you're nice enough to them and you maybe show some concession towards some of their views. Instead, they can't even let them have their votes counted. It just it seemed so crazy to me, it, to the yeah. point that it's almost like they just said, yeah, we know we're not going to win this election. We don't even care. We just don't want Ron Paul's name mentioned. <laughs> That's our uh, only well, goal.
1: And it was not, it's not just that. I think they were trying to make sure that Ron Paul wasn't going to have a chance in 16. But by that time, it might be too late. I guess the other thing they were thinking is, what are they going to do, go vote for the Democrats? and uh they probably weren't but yeah well they forgot
0: the third option which is stay the f home and that's what i did and that's what a lot of people did like yeah, in, in the millions
1: <laughs> if we could just get people to realize that that third option is to maybe you know join the lp maybe vote libertarian maybe uh maybe we can make some noise that way not yet but maybe soon
0: now let's get back to your um mayoral run here let's i know you don't think you have much of a chance of actually winning but let's just let's just play a little fantasy game here what happens if you wake up on, um, I don't know the date of the election, so I would, I would just be making it up the day after the election so I don't sound too stupid. Uh, let's say you wake up and the morning news says CRZ for mayor. What, what, what's going to happen? What, what would you do? First of all, would you quit your day job?
1: <laughs> yeah, I would have to. I don't think you can hold a job when you're mayor. Uh, the way it works is uh, it's right after January 1st. So the, I would wake up the morning of, I believe it's November 6th, I don't know if they're going to be able to actually count with the ranked choice voting, if they're going to count that fast, but it would be November 5th is the election. January 3rd, I believe, is when the term starts. Um, yeah, What I would really like to do, although I'm not sure I would be able to by that time it may be too late, is to remove Minneapolis's participation in this upcoming free stadium for Ziggy Wolf and the Minnesota Vikings. It's just a bad deal. It's going to come up on nine figures of uh, Minneapolis taxpayer money. Forget the state. Minneapolis is supposed to up to $150 million by the time it's said and done. And it went through on a seven to six vote of our city council. And, you know, it was endorsed by our outgoing mayor, R.T. Ryback, probably because he has designs on being governor someday, and he thinks this is the best way to do it. I saved the Vikings is what he will say in the ads.
0: That sounds like a a hell of a campaign. (laughs) campaign spiel. The problem is our city charter says that any expenditure over,
1: I believe it's $10 million, has to go to a vote of the people before anything can happen. And they got around it with Target Field, and they're trying to do another end around with the stadium. Uh, There's some lawsuits pending which have kind of kept the deal from totally going through, so there's still a glimmer of hope that the voters might get to have their say on it. And let me say that if the voters decided by 51 to 49 that they wanted to waste their money on this, as much as I would hate it, I would go along with it and I'd say, okay, the people have spoken, we're going to have the stadium, I hope we can make some money out of it somehow. But given the fact that the people haven't had that chance to vote, in accordance with our city charter, I don't think, I don't see how in good conscience we can, anyone, any mayor should allow it to go through. So I would really like to pull the plug on that if I could. That would be the first thing I would want to do.
0: Isn't that just the worst kind of welfare that exists? I mean, like I'm against all of the welfare because I'm against the... I'm not against helping people, but I'm against the theft. I'm against the initial, you know, extraction of the funds by force. But, you know, I don't get so mad about an Obama phone or, you know, a food stamp like I do about paying a billionaire to build a football stadium. I mean, it's just, and that doesn't get nearly as much heat for some reason as the Obama phone or the food stamps.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And what it really does is it it drives up the sales tax. It drives up taxes downtown for staying in the hotel or, or shopping downtown or working downtown, the next thing you know, people aren't working downtown. They're maybe buying their groceries in St. Paul, where the sales tax is 1% to 2% less. And then you're finding yourself trying to play catch-up, because the gap gets bigger and bigger. And the next thing you know, it's uh, downtown Detroit. Well, but it may be not that bad. You beat me to bad, it, because but... then
0: you've got, you got a stadium in the middle of a ghost town, like Detroit.
1: <laughs> I mean. and we hope it wouldn't get that bad, but you know, it's one of those things about history repeating. You're not paying attention to it, so you are doomed to repeat it. Hopefully it won't get that bad. And again, it's not, as much as you might hear about it in the media, it's not quite a done deal yet. There's still uh, a couple of decisions that have to be made uh, by a couple of judges. And even then, there may be a couple lawsuits, a couple more lawsuits down the road. So, you know, don't anticipate the Metrodome being torn down just yet.
0: Now... Um... Like I said before, you've been profiling uh, each of the candidates. I'm not sure exactly how far you've gotten on, on your Facebook page. That's CRZ for Mayor. Uh, just real quick, I know we talked about there's the pirate candidate guy. What, what are like just two or three of your, I don't know if you want to say favorite guys, but you know, you're, what are the candidates that stand out the most, whether they're, they're just silly or whether they're serious, and you think that they're you know actually great candidates too?
1: We have some very interesting candidates who are very old, but were they <laughs> able to live out the term, they would probably be they they have they they got that feisty attitude and it's the kind of people who are very old and yet still have time to be on Facebook. Well, and It's kind of like the
0: lame duck politicians, you know, Towards the end of your term, whatever that term may be, you kind of don't give a crap anymore and you just let it that's all right. go. So Once I, you
1: reach a certain age, you just you just stop giving a crap. Yeah, and I, I feel like I,
0: I'm almost there already, so I right, really 30, I'm really right. afraid <laughs> of what it's gonna I'm really afraid of what I'm gonna be like in thirty or forty years. But.
1: yeah, so there there are uh, not uh, a small amount of people who are in their seventies and. They're very interesting. Of course, you probably saw Jeffrey Wagner, who was the man who walked out of Lake Minnetonka dressed only in his uh, bathing suit.
0: Yes, absolutely. He
1: actually had a very good message, but the problem was everyone was so excited about him, uh, taking it viral that they didn't even listen to him. And you know what he was saying was, wake the F up. I don't think anybody woke up from watching his video, but it's a real shame because it was a good message. And you actually Uh, posted a
0: a response to that video, did you not? (laughs) (laughs) I I saw that last night. That cracked me up. (laughs)
1: That's the first time I ever learned how to bleep uh, using a a movie maker. It was very exciting. But (laughs) he actually came to my page and liked the page, so he must have seen it and and thought it was pretty cool. I don't know if we're going to meet or not. There are a lot of places for candidates to meet, but unfortunately they never seem to invite all 35 of us. I wonder why that is.
0: Now, Chris, let's just say um, say there's a wrestling fan or someone that just does not know really anything about libertarianism, but they, you know, maybe they were googling CRZ and somehow come upon this podcast and just say, "What the heck? I'll listen to this stupid thing and see what he has to say." What would you say to those people? To someone that might not be really at all familiar with libertarianism, you know, if you had a quick, if you had ninety seconds in the elevator with him and to explain to them, you know. A, why you believe that way, why you label yourself that, and why they should care or why they should get interested or why they should learn more about these ideas, what would you say?
1: It's as simple as, you know, the government leaves you alone if you leave everybody else alone. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, you can do whatever you want. And that includes a lot of stuff that may be illegal today, but as long as you're not hurting someone else, go for it, man. And for someone who is a wrestling fan, and I have said this in other interviews, because every, co- every politician, even though I hate to call myself one, needs to make one outlandish, insane promise uh, per campaign. Mine is that if we somehow manage to save the Metrodome, I will do everything I can to convince Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Entertainment folks to bring WrestleMania to Minneapolis and to bring them to Mall of America Field at Hewlett H. Humphrey Metrodome.
0: Now, that is a campaign promise I could get behind. If I could vote in, in <laughs> Minneapolis, I would. I might even just go try to get a residency there real quick and see if I can make it happen, because that, that's a campaign idea that I can absolutely get behind. Everybody
1: needs one big idea, and that's the only one I could come up with. Fortunately, it dovetails nicely with what everyone really knows me for, well, 15 years ago they knew me for wrestling. <laughs>
0: All right, CRZ, thank you so much for joining us. Before I let you go, where can everybody find you on Facebook, your social media? Just give them the full rundown. Where can they find out more about you or, or, or even uh, some of your wrestling writing, if that's still archived anywhere?
1: Sure, everything is linked from my, my home uh, base, which is crz.net. It's crz.com, if you can't remember that, or crz.us. You can follow me on Twitter at crz. And the Facebook campaign page is C-R-Z-F-O-R-M-A-Y-O-R, C-R-Z for mayor. Mark, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for being on. Really appreciate it. C-R-Z, guys, check him out. He's running for mayor. He might not win, but, hey, maybe he will if you tell enough of your friends. C-R-Z, thanks a lot, guys. We'll be back right after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at theplacetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Agree to disagree. Yeah, it's a radio show we have on the dot com every single Friday at four thirty pm. Pacific. Join the show. What do we talk about? Politics, religion, and spirituality. Basically anything you're not supposed to talk about in a bar. <laughs> you're not supposed to have these conversations inside of a bar, but we have them every single Friday at four thirty pm. Pacific, on the dot com. Join the show, offer your opinion, and let's agree to disagree, but let's have a good conversation.
1: This is Glenn Jacobs and you're listening to the Lions
0: of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right guys, welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast. I had a great time talking today with CRZ Christopher Robin Zimmerman. He is a libertarian candidate. For the mayor of Minneapolis. For years I only knew him as this witty, funny wrestling recapper. Turns out he's a solid libertarian too, so I was thrilled to you know find that out. Have him on. Where did I find that out? At the Place to Be Nation, on the Place to Be Nation podcast. Place2BeNation.com. Um check out their podcast, check out their great number of talented writers, not just wrestling, but sports, pop, culture, TV, movies, music, the whole shebang if you're interested in it. Place to be Nation has got it. And of course, please check out the new American Media.com. Brian Engelman always pushing stories forward into the mainstream. Uh, religion, politics, spirituality, it's all there. And he's got his weekly radio show, Agree to Disagree. Please check that out too, every single Friday. Now, I promised you guys earlier a new segment debuting. This week, in only our fourth episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, look, the Lions of Liberty is not just me. Uh, You know, this is the voice you've heard. I'm the editor-in-chief of the website, lionsofliberty.com. But I founded this with three good friends of mine. And we have a couple other guys that have come along to contribute as well. And, you know, we decided we're going to kind of harken back to our college days. You know, myself, uh, John Odermatt, Brian McWilliams. Dom Sedotti, we are the the four of us founded the Lions of Liberty, you know, just a few years ago, but we've actually known each other for probably, you know, between 10, 12, 15 years, somewhere in there. And, you know, we're going to harken back to our old days where we would just kind of shoot the shit, uh, have a little whiskey, and, you know, talk about what's going on. So, next week, we're going to have our very first whiskey chat. Yeah, we're just going to have a glass of whiskey. Nothing too extreme. We're not going to get hammered. We're just going to have. You know, we're just going to sip a nice fine whiskey and talk about, you know, a topic of some kind. See where it goes. Now, look, my, my compatriots, they're not available tonight. They're not available till next week when we're going to you know, debut this segment. But I wanted to give a little preview because I still have some ranting to do. I have some things to get off my chest. And it just so happens that I have a glass of whiskey right here. So I'm just going to have a sip of my whiskey. Just give, you, just give me one moment. And I'm gonna get some things off my chest. Now, if you've been anywhere near social media, well, one, you've probably either spoiled Breaking Bad or had Breaking Bad spoiled for you, one or the other. We didn't need to talk about that right now. That's another bitter issue that I have. But, um, you know, you've probably seen some people in the last day or so starting to say things about their healthcare. Like, what's going on with my healthcare? My prices just went up. I gotta change my plan. What the hell is this? Well, we know what it is, folks. It's the little thing called Obamacare. Now, I have my own little personal story with Obamacare. Now, I've been expecting this for a while. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise. I follow the news. I, I read a lot about Obamacare and, you know, everything, really. So I was expecting something along these lines. But, you know, I'm I'm a freelancer. I work in the television industry out here in Los Angeles. And I work for several different companies, I, and I'm not an employee of any one company. I'm a freelancer, so I purchase my own health insurance. Now, I don't need to spend three, four, five hundred dollars $500 a month on a fancy health insurance plan because that's just not what I need. I keep myself pretty healthy you know, <laughs> with my glass of whiskey. Uh, I, keep my, I do keep myself fairly healthy, you know, and, and I, to me, it just makes more sense to insure myself only against risk, not against you know, everyday stuff. That's what insurance is supposed to be. So I have just a very basic coverage where I have a high deductible and I pay for everything out of pocket. Basically, essentially, it just ensures that, (laughs) there's that word again, insurance, that if I break my leg, get cancer, something completely unexpected, I won't go bankrupt. I won't be able to spend more than I think it's like five grand in a year. Great. Cool. I never use it. I don't use it at all. I have it. Again, there's that word again, simply as insurance against catastrophe that's what insurance is supposed to be for unfortunately the idea of insurance has completely been manipulated and and just blown to smithereens in this country and it all started and this is actually in michael moore's little movie michael moore's healthcare movie i can't even remember the name of it uh if i feel like editing this thing maybe i'll come back and just insert me saying it um sicko there it is i don't have to do it no editing needed great In the movie Sicko, he even addresses this part where, you know, our modern healthcare system of the HMOs, PPOs, all this stuff got started with Ted Kennedy and with Richard Nixon. They created this this healthcare boondoggle where everybody's companies are kind of, you know, influenced by the tax code to, you know, it makes more sense for them to buy insurance for their employees and provide it that way. Than to you know pay that in salary so you know we get the system where everyone's kind of ma- manipulated into these getting into these bed with these big companies that end up managing their healthcare and you know that's not what healthcare is supposed to be healthcare is supposed to be a relationship between yourself and your doctor and really healthcare I mean there's all these terms thrown around healthcare uh, medical care healthcare and medical care are two different completely different things healthcare is is you know taking care of myself how do I eat. Do I exercise? You know, am I checking, check, checking up on certain things that i checking up on? Uh, stuff like that. Medical care is attention. It's a service. It's, it's attention to a certain need that you might have, you know, addressing a, a medical problem. And that should be between simply a doctor and the doctor's customer. And this is the way for many, many years things were in the United States until this kind of fascistic, fascistic system was created. Now... The problem with all this is, and it's not just Obamacare, there's been government intervention in healthcare for 50 years, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, all this stuff. All of these interventions in the economy, many of which may be well-intentioned by people that don't know better. I suspect otherwise, in many cases, they all create distortions in the marketplace. You know, they, they direct money where money might not be directed. They influence people to buy insurance that might not really need more than catastrophic insurance. Suddenly, they have these comprehensive plans, and they're going to the doctor for a sniffle, an ankle, and it's all covered by insurance. Well, you know, this money's not free. You know, someone's paying for it. Um, the, the, this drives the cost. When all this money is coming into healthcare, a lot of it government subsidies, It drives the cost up. It distorts the marketplace. So now nobody even knows what things are supposed to cost. You know, doctors just charge the maximum. They charge whatever their their insurance says they're supposed to charge. So back to me. (laughs) I told you it was a whiskey rant. I don't know where it's gonna go. That's the whole point. Just imagine when I got a couple other guys in here with me. It's gonna be crazy. So I get a letter. I paid, you know, about a hundred bucks a month for for this very basic catastrophic insurance. I get a letter that I knew was coming. It says, you know, I actually have the letter right here. Why don't I get it in front of me? It's very nice. They're very cordial about it. They're really, oh, dear Mr. Claire, we value your membership. We value your membership and strive to provide you with access to quality health care services and resources to meet your needs today and tomorrow. This sounds this sounds fantastic. Oh, I should note in the top, there's an important notice: your health care plan will be ending, but we can still have you covered in 2012. Ooh, read on. Cool. Due to new requirements for health coverage under the Affordable Care Act, ACA, Blue Shield will be introducing new health plans beginning January 1st, 2014. We're writing to provide notice that your current individual and family plan will no longer be available to you after December 31st, 2013. You see, Obamacare and the politicians, they have decided that the coverage I have is not good enough. I need more coverage. I don't think I do, but they have decided that I I do. And that the coverage I have is no longer acceptable. So now, let's take a look. I got they gave me an option here. It's the, the next best option, the next cheapest plan that I'm going to actually automatically be enrolled into if I don't do something to stop it. I suppose. Um, let's see. My cost is uh, health insurance. They look it down for me. Is going up by one hundred dollars. This is a change of one hundred dollars. It's nearly double my rate of health insurance. Now you'd think, okay. Your health insurance price has gone up. Sure, sure, sure. We get it. But, you know, you're going to get more coverage. This is going to be great. So I'm just looking at the list here real quick. It just lists some of the basic services. Let's see. My deductible, my calendar year deductible, it's gone up. $2,900 2900 to 4500 That's what I have to spend before I get any coverage at all. My year out-of-pocket maximum, it was 5900 That's the most I can spend in a year before I'm completely covered. Nope, that has gone up to $6,350. So I actually have worse coverage for what I care about, which is, you know, catastrophic incident. You know, if, if an emergency happens, now I'm going to have to pay more out-of-pocket a month for that in addition to the fact I'm already paying another 100 bucks a month. Fantastic. And, I, you know, I, I don't want to be too hard on them. I've been going down this list and I can't really find any benefits. But, you know, they, they do cover prescription drugs, even though I don't take any, don't need any, don't want any coverage. Pay out of pocket when I do. I do get some 40 percent of my prescription drugs covered. Um, but look, hey, here at the bottom, acupuncture, 40 percent coverage. All right. Bingo. I finally found it. I found out what Obamacare did for me. Got me 40% off my acupuncture. Of course, I don't go to acupuncture. It, It might work for some people. I don't know. I'm willing to try it. Maybe I'll try it now that I got this discount. But the point is, you cannot just dictate from a little room, from a central committee, what kind of healthcare people need. You cannot dictate what the market is going to price that healthcare at. You know, there is a legitimate need to help people that do have trouble getting medical services that perhaps can't afford these medical services. But we have to look at the source of the problem. We can't just start saying, people need help, do something government, but they don't realize that the reason they need the help in the first place is because of the government. Because we subsidize this stuff. Because of all these schemes, these programs, these fascist relationships between government and healthcare services and healthcare providers. It distorts the market. It distorts everything. It distorts our perception of what health care and medical care and insurance even are. And we really have to change the way. We look at things. Again, we go back to ideas. We go back to philosophy. We go back to logic. Reason, like I discussed in our second episode with Shane Whistler. We have to learn to use reason. And we have to think more than just, hey, people are sick. People need help. Do something about it. We need to let markets work. We need to let individuals freely interact with doctors of their choices. With insurance companies of their choices, we need to make it just as easy to access vitamins as it is to access, you know, the, the most difficult drugs to get in the market. The FDA takes you know seven ten years to approve some drugs. Why not let people try them? What about somebody on their deathbed? Why can't they try a new cancer drug? You're either dead or you can try the new drug. Well, you know, we gotta we gotta hold it up in the FDA for 7-10 years. Look, we gotta end this madness. All right. I'm lucky. I'm not sick. I don't have cancer. I haven't broken a leg. I'm lucky. A lot of people aren't lucky. A lot of people do get sick and they end up in this terrible system that distorts the markets. It pushes people out of the marketplace and it tramples on all of our freedom. This has to change and it has to change in a fundamental way. It has to start with ideas. Again, it's all about ideas. Let's get back to basics. Let's get back to a customer. Let's get back to a business. Doctors, patients. That's healthcare. That's medical care. Guys, that was my first whiskey rant. Oh, I had a small audience back here. No, there's no audience, that's just me. Please, this stuff's important. Next week, there's gonna be a couple more guys in here with me. Guys, check us out, lionsofliberty.com. I don't plug myself nearly a month, nearly as much as I need to. Where can you find the show? Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher, the Stitcher radio app. Check it out. You can set up a cool little playlist. It's like your own personal radio station. And hey, Lions of Liberty could be the flagship show for all we know. Check out my guest today, CRZ for mayor. And don't forget to check out the man who wrote this tune. That's bringing you out of the show, Ron Branch. You can find him at drawingforliberty.com. Guys, like I said, it's been a milestone edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Check back next week. Spread the word. Until next time, live long and live free. Mastering is John Dobert.